Isn't it wonderful to hear the pitter-patter of the rain, even here today, just enjoying what God has given to us? Definitely answer to prayer. We thank him for that. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day. We thank you this, your Lord's day you've made, and we are rejoicing, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Great to be in your house, even this day. Bless us during the rest of this time. Bless our time in your word. We commit it to you. May you use it to grow us in your grace and knowledge and help us to long more and more for our heavenly home. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. The last time in our study on heaven, we looked at the passage in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 11, and we learned about the new heaven and the new earth that has been created and the new Jerusalem that God has been preparing for us for how long? Does anyone remember? Over 2,000 years, we said he's been preparing that home for us. And that new heaven will come down out of the which heaven? The third heaven will come down out of the third heaven. And God in his glory will be the center of it all. That is why there will be no need for the sun or the moon because God God's glory will illuminate it and light it up. What an amazing picture John gives us of heaven. So today, we're going to walk through the rest of Revelation 21, so you can turn there if you will, starting in verse 12 and going through verse 27, and we'll pick up a portion of, of chapter 22. Starting in verses um, 12 through 14, Here John writes, It had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels. And names were written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, and three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles, of the Lamb. In verse 12, we read that it says, Heaven has a high wall. Why would there be a wall in heaven? Remember, we said that Satan and all unbelievers would have already been cast into the lake of fire. It's in Revelation 10 14 through 15. To help you understand this a little better, in Bible times, people wanted cities to be safe and secure, rightly so. And so they would build none other than walls for protection. So more than likely, the walls in heaven are more of a symbol of safety and security. It really serves no other purpose than that. Like everything else in heaven, it all points to the glory of God. 
Looking back at, verses, at verse 12, what's the significance of the number 12? Does anyone know? 12 is the number of perfect symmetry. Thus, there are 12 gates, 12 angels, 12 tribes, 12 foundations, and 12 apostles from verse 14, and 12 pearls from verse 21, and 12 kinds of fruit from Revelation 22.2. The 12 gates were named after the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament, and the 12 foundation stones were named after the 12 apostles in the New Testament. This is really to show that heaven will be a place full of all of God's redeemed. This means that Israel, as well as the church, will be united in the eternal home in heaven and will now be one people for all of eternity. In verse 13, John says, there were three gates on the east and three gates on the north and three gates on the south and three gates on the west. The gates indicate that we will come and go in heaven. In other words, although heaven is our eternal home, we will not be locked in there. We will be able to go all throughout the entire universe and we will go in and out through the gates. In verse 14, Jesus is called the Lamb. The Lamb. What a precious name. He will forever be known by this sacrificial name, the Lamb. So to give us a better description of the size of the city, John gets a little more specific with measurements. You engineers would like this. He says in verse 15, the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. Ezekiel 40 verse 3 gives an idea of the measuring rod and the rod would have more than likely been about 10 feet long. In verse 16, John says the city is laid out as a square. And its length is as great as the width. And he measured the city with the rod. 1,500 miles. And yes, I did say miles. Its length and width and height are equal. The city would be like a super large cube. It was the same height, width, and length, so it would be 1,500 miles square and 1,500 miles high. You may say, why square? Well, if you go back to 1 Kings 6, verse 20, Solomon's temple, which was the most holy place was what shape? None other 
than a cube, and it was 20 cubits. This would be God's house in his dwelling place. It is pretty amazing and incredible that God brings the most holy place to earth. It is really hard to imagine something 1,500 miles high. To help to visualize this a little bit, this would extend way, 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 way far out of Earth's atmosphere. So this is only to keep, help you to get an idea of the size of heaven. To help you get a bit better picture of this and to understand the distance here, 1,500 miles is the same as the distance from Florida to Maine. And I would say that is quite a distance. Is it not? <laughs> yes. What you have to remember is that now heaven and earth have come together. So are these heights and, and measurements symbolic? Is this symbolism here that John is talking about? I would have to say I do not believe that it, it is. Because remember what John says in verse 17 where he says, and he measured his wall 72 yards according to what type of measurements? Human. Human measurements. Which are also angelic measurements. Beloved, this is a real place. That is why John says according to human measurements. That could mean nothing else but what it says. There is nothing symbolic about it. Given these measurements, the new Jerusalem would cover a surface area of, get this, 2.25 million square miles. 2.25 million square miles. Quite staggering to say the least. To put this in perspective, I don't know if any of you have ever gone to London or visited, but all of Greater London is only 621 square miles. And to scale that down even more, the city of London itself, London proper, if you will, is only about one square mile and has a population of about 5,000 people. Given those numbers, the New Jerusalem will be able to hold over 100 billion people. Remember, this does not even take into account the height of the city. Heaven will be definitely large enough for the few in Matthew 7, 13 through 14, who find the narrow way and go through the narrow gate. In the whole scheme of things, the few are what John calls a great multitude in Revelation 7, 9, where he says, after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes, and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands, 
And they cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Dear friends, there will be enough room in heaven for all who are from the different nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. Just try to picture such a wonderful, wonderful place. This will be an area that is squared off, if you will, and then cubed with many levels and millions of golden avenues that cross each other. Our heavenly home, the New Jerusalem, will be such a, a majestic splendor of beauty and awe. In Revelation 21, 18, John starts by telling us more about the building materials, and he says this about the walls. The material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. In Bible days, jasper was a transparent diamond-like stone. At any rate, the jasper stone the walls were made of would allow for the glory of God, which is beaming from the center of the city to shine through it. Beloved, it is all about God's glory. He goes on to talk about the city itself, which he describes as pure gold-like clear glass. How many of you have seen pure gold-like clear glass? I haven't. Most of the gold that we see is what? Solid. It's solid gold. You can't see through it. We really are not able to visualize in our minds because most of the gold we know of you can't see through it. This could also be referring to gold that is polished to such a shine that it will reflect an image like a clear mirror does. This is gold that radiates God's glory and reflects its beauty from every angle and degree. What John saw must have been so blazing and bright that he really could not describe it fully, but knew that it looked like gold and shined as pure gold. What you have to remember also is that this time, we will have what type of bodies? Glorified, glorified bodies. And how we see things might be different, and we may actually see things as being solid and as see-through. At the same time, that's pretty incredible, isn't it? In verses 19 through 20, John says, the foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. Do you all know what all those stones look like? Some of you ladies might. I don't. The picture is, is that these stones were, they were some hue or some shade of green, red, violet, sky blue, golden, and other sparkling colors. Along with the glass-like gold and see-through walls, this is an amazingly beautiful place that will manifest the glory of God forever and ever and ever. In verse 21, John says, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. 
Each one of the gates was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. It is really mind-boggling to think that a single pearl could be some 1,500 miles high. One pearl. We can't even begin to fathom a gate like that. That large, but this is how John describes them. And we know that most pearls are, are formed from what animal? From oysters. Well, beloved, an oyster did not form these pearls. They were formed by the incredible, matchless, awesome hand of almighty God. We have talked a lot about what will be in heaven, but what will not be in heaven? What will not be in heaven? One commentator says these things will not be in heaven. There will be no temple in heaven. In verse 22, John says, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. So on one hand, we see that there is no temple, but on the other hand, we see that who is the temple? God Almighty, the Lamb, he's the temple. How is, the, how is God the temple? A temple was normally the place where one would go to do what? Worship, worship. John is saying that in heaven, when we worship, it will be in the very truest of all senses of worship because our worship will be in the very presence of whom? Of God himself. God is the place of worshipers and everyone in heaven will be worshiping him. The worship will never stop. Remember that worship includes all of life, not just singing or preaching or giving. And some say, well, how will heaven be exciting when that's all you're going to do is worship? Well, it would be all of life. It's all of everything that you do, and you will be doing it perfectly. That is why the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for what? The glory of God. The glory of God. Worship encompasses glorifying God. That means that as sinless beings, everything that we do will be worship. That is why heaven will be worship, worship, worship. What is the answer to the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism? If you don't remember the question, the question is, what is the chief end of man? And answer... you. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him. How long? A day? A week? Forever. Forever. So no. Heaven will not be bored. We will not be sitting on some fluffy cloud playing a harp, but it will be unspeakable perfect worship like we've never experienced on earth. The psalmist says it best in Psalm 27, 4, where he says, one thing 
I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Is that your deepest and heart's desire? I sure hope so. So there will be no temple in heaven, and there will also be there will also not be any source of light in heaven. And we talked about this before. In verse 23, John says, And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is whom? The lamb. The lamb. The glory of heaven will have a brightness unlike anything we can imagine in our universe. The only light will be the glory of God. His glory is what shines throughout heaven. So there will be no heaven, no light source, and no ADT or Brinks system. There will be no security system in heaven. John says in verses 24 to 27, the nations... The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed, and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In Middle Eastern times, the gates were shut at night, as one would think, to keep out bandits, armies, and robbers. So when John says the gates will never be shut, that means that there will be no security threat in heaven. So it will no longer be a need to keep the gates closed. When John talks about the nations and kings in verses 24 to 26, he is basically saying that there will be no distinction of ranks or hierarchy because all races, classes, and nationalities will be done away with. And all will come to bring glory to God. What a day that will be. John closes the chapter by saying, and nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We know that Satan and unbelievers are nowhere on the scene, but are now where? In hell. But only God's elect will be here in heaven. In heaven, we will not do anything that displeases God. There will be nothing to tempt us there. The point being that the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the sinful pride of life, and all that is of the world and of the devil will be done away with. Praise God. Saints will no longer be persecuted. There will no longer be any divisions, hate, or disunity. No quarreling or disagreements will take place in heaven. No one will be disappointed. There were no longer be any prayers or fasting or repentance and confessions of sins because 
no one will be sinning. Wow. What a thought. There will be no crying because there will be nothing in heaven to make us sad. So as the commentator said, there will be no temple in heaven, no light source in heaven, no security system in heaven, and no needs in heaven. Now in Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2, John says, Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The phrase, the tree of life, could really be talking about one, two, or three trees. And you may say, and Christopher, how do you come to that conclusion? Well, not to get too technical, but in the original language, there is no three-letter word, T-H-E, there. So verse 2 could be translated, in the middle of the street and on either side of the river was a tree of life. Not the tree of life. And you say, does that make much difference? It absolutely does. This could indicate that there were actually three trees, which mean that the river could flow in the middle of the street and there would be trees on either side of the river. At any rate, the fruit will be incredibly delicious. One of our children really enjoys fruit. <laughs> and I know that this fruit will be like no fruit that they have ever tasted in their life. One of my friends says it, it is like eating 12 kinds of fruit, one for every month. Get this, friends. In heaven, we will eat not to get full or to satisfy our, our hunger, but we will eat for mere enjoyment. Can you imagine that? Just be eating for mere enjoyment. Won't that be great? But that's not all of it. Not only do you get to enjoy it, but for all those who are health conscious, the tree will have a renewing effect on those who eat it. If you've never eaten leaves before, you eat them in heaven. <laughs> John says the leaves are for the healing of the nations. The original word for healing is therapia. And it's where we get our word, what? Therapeutic. So John is saying that the leaves of the tree of life somehow help to enrich our heavenly life. The water we drink will also be for our enjoyment. So there will be no temple in heaven, no light source in heaven, no security system in heaven, and no food will be needed in heaven. God wants us to enjoy him how long? Forever. Forever. 
and has wonderful things in store for us. The thing that I'm most excited about is this, and that, and that is there will be no more curse in heaven. John tells us in verses 3 to 5 of Revelation 22, there will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his bond servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will no longer be any night and they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. Do you know what that means, beloved? It means that agony will be deleted, never to be recovered. Toil will be deleted, never to be recovered. Disease will be deleted, never to be recovered. The sweat of the brow will be deleted, never to be re recovered. The thorns and thistles will be deleted, never to be recovered. Disease will be deleted, never to be recovered. Sickness will be deleted, never to be recovered. Pain will be deleted, never to be recovered. Death will be deleted, never to be recovered. Sorrow will be deleted, never to be recovered. And praise God, sin will be deleted forever, never to come again. Amen? And listen, beloved, that means that the curse that began in Genesis in the Garden of Eden will be deleted forever and have absolutely no place in heaven. Hallelujah and praise God. Friends, we really can't imagine a place like that, can we? Heaven is truly beyond our imagination. That is why the Apostle Paul says in that very familiar passage in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, but as it is written, I has not what? Seen. Nor ear heard. Nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. We will be always and forever in the presence of the Lord and have communion and fellowship with him forever. We will have a close and unbroken fellowship with Christ and will be fellow heirs and reign and rule with Christ. Yet so very much awaits us in the eternal heaven. However, we now live in, does anyone remember that other H word? We don't live in heaven, but we live in the heavenlies. The heavenlies. And should not just be waiting until we reach our eternal home, but should 
be having an ongoing and deep relationship with God right now. And you may say, well, how can I do that? Well, dear friend, glad you asked. You can start by spending time each day with God in his word where he speaks to us and by speaking to him in prayer. So yes, one day we will have a perfect and intimate relationship with God in heaven, but for the here and now, we should be having that intimate and ongoing relationship with him by communing with him as he speaks to us through his word and by speaking to him in prayer. We don't have to wait until we reach the eternal home or heaven, but can have that type of relationship and closeness with him now. Now we turn our attention to what I'm sure many of you have been waiting for, and that is what we will be like in heaven. This one thing we can be certain about is that we will be made perfect. That means that our entire body and soul will be completely perfect and new. The Apostle John, who also wrote Revelation, says it well in his first epistle in 1 John 3, 2, where he says, Beloved, we are children of God and has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, what? We will be like him. Just as he is. This means that when we see Christ, we will be immediately made perfect because we will see him as he is. We know that as believers that positionally speaking, we are perfect because of what Christ has done. That means that we have been fully justified the minute we believe we have been forgiven of all of our sins and have been clothed with the perfect righteousness of Christ. We know that we are not practically, physically seated with Christ, but positionally speaking, we are. So in one sense, we are perfect, and that would be positionally. And that is our justification. But praise God, he never stops making us to be like his son. And that is what we do every day, which is our, what? Sanctification. Sanctification. Remember, heaven is a place of perfect holiness, and we would not be ready to live there unless we were perfectly holy. Don't get it twisted. It is not our personal holiness that gives us interest into heaven, but it is because of Christ's perfect righteousness that he imputed to us. So once we have been justified and sanctified, then we are glorified and taken into the presence of the Lord. So in heaven, there will be no traces whatsoever of our human sinfulness. One commentator says it this way, all believers can rest in this confidence. God has already justified us in order to free us from the guilt of sin. And one day, he will glorify us in order to liberate us from the very presence of sin forever. There is a picture of perfection in holiness given in Revelation 7:14. Speaking of those coming out of the tribulation, John says, I said to him, my Lord, you know, and he said to me, 
These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The white robes here speak of what? Purity, holiness, and complete perfection. So what will it look like to be perfect? One thing we know for sure is that we will be free from sin forever and ever and ever. That means we will not have a selfish thought or say an unkind word. We won't do an unkind deed or think anything sinful. We will be free from the ability to sin. Quite staggering. And we'll think in a way that is always perfect always righteous and always holy before God. Frankly, beloved, that is something that we really cannot grasp our minds around, can we? We cannot fathom that this side of heaven. If you are not a believer, that is your sin that keeps you out of heaven and the only way to be free of your sin is to come to faith in Christ alone, knowing that his blood on the cross has paid the penalty for your sins and you must repent or turn from your sins and put your trust in Christ alone, by faith alone, knowing that he alone can give you his righteousness in exchange for your sinfulness. You must come to the point of being weary and burdened from your sin. Jesus pleads with you, even this morning, to come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give. You rest. In heaven, we will have pleasures forevermore. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When we are in heaven in the presence of, of God, we will have pleasures unlike any pleasures we have ever had on this earth. Not only will we have pleasures forevermore, but we will also have complete knowledge. Complete knowledge. Not to say that we will be omniscient, which we won't, or all-knowing, because this is an attribute that only God has, but it means that our knowledge will be complete as it can ever be. That means that we will no longer have any questions that can't be answered, such as, I wonder what, I wonder why, we won't have those type of questions that can't be answered. There will be no ignorance or confusion, and we will no longer need to walk by faith rather than by sight. We will not be uncomfortable for one single moment in heaven. Heaven is eternal comfort. We know this from the account of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16, 25, where it talks about Lazarus being comforted in heaven, in heaven we will have complete love. In the love chapter, which is 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 13, it says, but now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Why is love the greatest? Because it will last forever. We will no longer have to hope in heaven because all that we hope for has come to place in heaven. 
We will no longer need faith because our faith will have turned to sight. We don't have to have faith to believe it or hope because it will have come to being. We will also have in heaven unending joy. We know that heaven is a real place and not a figment of our imagination. So we will have real bodies and we will have, someone has already said, what type of bodies? Glorified, glorified bodies. Bodies like the resurrection body of Jesus Christ. This means that our bodies and souls will be renewed. As we well know, when someone dies, his or her body is separated from the soul. The bodies go to the grave and the spirit goes where? To be with the Lord. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 2, For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. What you have to understand here is that our resurrection bodies will be the same as our earthly bodies, but just be glorified just like Jesus' glorified body. That's why John says in 1 John 3, 2, we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. What you have to remember is that Jesus' body was the same body as he had before, not an entirely new body. After he rose from the grave, the tomb was empty, but his body was resurrected. It was his same body, just in a glorified form. The wounds that were in his hand and his side were still visible. We know that he was real and, and not some sort of a spirit. He was human in every aspect. He talked with his disciples for a long time on the road to Emmaus, and they never questioned whether he was really human. In Luke 24, 13 through 18, he ate real food with his friends. There were also other things that were unique to his glorified body, and that was the fact that he could pass through solid walls. He could appear out of nowhere, and he could go up to heaven in a bodily form without it having any real effect on him as he went into the air and atmosphere. The wonderful thing is that our glorified bodies will be exactly like that they will be real and entirely human and the same bodies that we have while on earth but just in a glorified form let's go to the Lord in prayer Father we thank you so much as we continue looking at all that you have in store for us in heaven and how we will be and and also how our relationships will be with others in heaven as we look. And we thank you for even the picture that you've given us, not just physically how heaven, the new heaven will look, but that the real cornerstone of heaven will be the glory of you, God, that will radiate, that will illuminate, that will shine all through heaven, and that there will be worship of you all the time we will have worship of you forever and ever and ever we thank you so much for this that you have given to us and how we long for it and bless us as we go through the rest of this week as we think on the riches the glories of you 
as we commune with you, as we worship you, as we spend time with you in your word and in prayer. We love you and we bless you. And we pray all of this in your name, Lord Jesus.